imagine, I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but imagine what it must have been like uh, to be one of Jesus' disciples. To be handpicked of one, you know, to be one of only 12 people in the whole world to spend three years up close and personal with Jesus. Imagine what that would have been like. You would have heard amazing preaching. You would have seen miracles happen. Your own life would have been transformed when you began to believe that Jesus truly was the Son of God. But then if you were one of Jesus' disciples, you also saw him get arrested. And you had to experience the grief when he died a humiliating, agonizing death. But then if you were one of Jesus' disciples, you would have been there when he appeared to you several times after he died. And Jesus, who was crucified was physically alive again. What would you have done next if you knew, I mean, if if you were one of these disciples and Jesus had risen from the dead? Would you have gone and, and told everybody what you had seen and what you had heard and what you experienced? Would you would you continue doing the same ministries that Jesus had done? Well, from our scripture passage today, we know exactly what Jesus' disciples did after Jesus rose from the dead. They went fishing. They went fishing. Not recreational fishing. They returned to their old lives that they had before they met Jesus. Our scripture today finds Peter, John, Andrew, and some of the other disciples back up north by the Sea of Galilee where they were fishermen before they met Jesus. You may remember uh, when, when Jesus called these fishermen to be his disciples, he said, drop your nets, leave them behind, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. So they left their nets, their boats, their livelihood, and they followed Jesus for the next three years, and it changed their lives. Yet here they are, just days after Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection, and they're back at their old way of life as if nothing had changed. It's as if they had had a three-year mountaintop spiritual experience. And then it was all over, and they went back to doing what they did before they met Jesus. Does this passage of Scripture kind of surprise you? It, it, it does me. I mean, how in the world could Jesus' disciples be doing this after all they had experienced, all that they had been through? They just went back to fishing. It's easy to look back and kind of criticize them a little bit, but, you know, we're not that different. I mean, how many of us have been to like a Christian conference or we went on a short-term mission trip we felt closer to God than we ever have before but then when real life hits us when we get home we just go about as if nothing's changed we do that too back in the mid-1990s I remember attending an event sponsored by the Promise Keepers remember that group in Washington D.C. 
There were 10, 10 or 12 of us from our church in Texas that went, and we were joined by hundreds of thousands of other men from around the nation. And we gathered on the, the Fountain Mall in Washington, and we sang hymns and heard preaching and recommitted our lives to Christ. It was a life-changing event for me. It absolutely was. When they had all the pastors in the group stand and people would just lay hands on you and pray for you. Oh my goodness. I remember I turned around after that prayer time and Jack Kemp was laying hands on me praying for me. I said, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Well, I get back to Central Texas where I was a pastor and I walked into my office at the church and there were about five paper phone messages waiting for me. And they were all from the same person. It was a retired pastor in the church. He was mad because I didn't serve communion the way that he thought that I should. And so he had called our district superintendent to complain. The whole thing was that I stood here and he wanted me to stand here. But I wanted to stand here. I was so frustrated after having that incredible experience in Washington, D.C., that when I had to deal with this situation, it was, it was as if Washington, D.C. and that stand-in-the-gap event was a distant memory. Think about last Sunday. Wasn't that amazing Easter Sunday? Do you know that we had more than 560 people worshiping with us last Sunday? That's a lot of folks. The music was fantastic. We were all decked out in our finest Easter clothes. Y'all looked amazing last week. I mean, you don't look bad now, but you really looked amazing last Sunday. I mean, all the little kids were dressed up, and there were so many of them, and it was just wonderful. Families were taking pictures and putting them on Facebook. This room was like a garden with all the flowers. Remember how beautiful that was? Many of us went home to an Easter feast. Oh, my goodness, what a Sunday. Now it's the Sunday after Easter. I'm sure you've heard of the Sunday after Easter blahs, right? It's like, oh boy, Easter's over. The families that came in town are, are gone. Well, the flowers are gone. Y'all are back to your normal Sunday clothes. You still look okay, but, you know, you know what I mean. Our attendance is back to normal. Seems like we're just back to the normal again. Kind of like those disciples who decided to go back to their lives as fishermen. What they didn't realize, but what we cannot forget, is that when Jesus rose from the dead, it changed everything. It changed everything. Life on earth would never be the same again. Because Jesus defeated death, so can we. There is no normal life again. Jesus changed all of that. Now let's see how this played out in our scripture passage that Sean read. It's in John 21, and several of these disciples are back up north See, they had gone home. They left Jerusalem after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. And they're sitting around, and finally Peter says, y'all, I'm going fishing. 
When you don't know what to do, go fishing. So the others say, hey, that sounds great. You know, we could use a little bit of money. Because they were commercial. They were professional fishermen. Now the scholars tell us that on the Sea of Galilee, the best time to catch fish with a net is in the middle of the night. So they went out in the boat, not far offshore. They left it, it's dark. But for some reason, they couldn't catch anything. And for professional fishermen, this must have been really frustrating. It's like, guys, I know we haven't done this in a while, but seriously, no fish at all? Well, when the sun was coming up, they saw somebody standing on the shore. And he yelled to them, Hey, you kids, you haven't caught anything, have you? Like, who is this guy making fun of us? So they yelled back, Nope, we haven't caught a thing. So then the man on the shore gave him some ridiculous advice. I mean, crazy advice. Advice that you want to play a joke on a kid. You know, if you took your nets and threw them out on the other side of the boat, I bet you could catch something. Do you know how crazy that must have sounded to these professional fishermen? I mean, it's like, what, the fish are on this side of the boat, not on this side of the boat? It's like the crabbers on that TV show, Deadliest Catch. They drop a pot in the, a crab pot in the water, it comes up empty. Hey, let's just drop the pot on the other side. That makes no sense at all. But for some reason, the disciples say, you know, we haven't caught anything all night. Might as well give it a try. So they dropped the nets on the other side of the boat. And it was as if the fish just jumped right in. It was so heavy with fish, they couldn't even bring it up into the boat without capsizing the boat. So John looks at Peter. Just think about this. What is it with these two? John and Peter. How many times have we seen them together over the last few weeks that we've been going through these scriptures? So John turns to him and says, uh, Pete, that's got to be Jesus. That's got to be him. So Peter, always the impulsive one, remember he was the first one to dive in the empty tomb? He puts his clothes on and he jumps into the sea to swim to shore. Now, let's do a timeout here. Anybody see anything weird about that? This has always confused me. Let's talk about this for a second. Well, first of all, some translations say that Peter was fishing naked. Now, no honorable Jewish man would ever do that. What they did in those days, they fished in like a first century version of their boxers. So, Peter and the others are fishing in their boxers. So why in the world would Peter put his clothes on and then jump in the water? Y'all know I was raised in New Orleans. We used to go out on the Gulf in a boat, and we didn't put our clothes on before we jumped in the water. Usually you take off your main clothes before you go swimming. Peter puts them on. That That just makes no sense. You know, the the last time that we saw Peter in a boat and he saw Jesus outside of the boat was when Peter walked on the water. 
Maybe Peter put on his clothes because he thought he'd be walking to Jesus instead of swimming. More likely, though, I think Peter wanted to be presentable when he got to Jesus. So he got dressed. Even if his clothes were soaked, he wouldn't be in his boxers when he said hi to the risen Lord. Let's think about something. How do we make ourselves presentable when we approach Jesus? I'm not talking about wearing our best Sunday clothes. That's superficial. I'm talking about something way deeper than that. How do we make our hearts presentable to Jesus? How do we prepare ourselves for attending worship? The process of getting here. How do we prepare ourselves to enter those doors and to come in here and worship? Do we play Christian music at home when we're getting ready? Maybe we turn off all media so that we can just focus on God. Or maybe you get ready for worship the same way you get ready for work and school. Why would we do that? Worshiping God is a little bit different than what we do at work. Hopefully it's a lot more significant. Parents, how we prepare ourselves for worship and how we make it different from getting the kids ready for school models to them how important it is that we do here. This isn't like getting ready for school. This is far more important. So find some ways to make getting ready for worship and Sunday school significant for your children. See, Peter prepared himself. And then he jumped in and swam to see Jesus. Well, when the other disciples finally were able to get the boat to the shore, remember, they, the net was too heavy for them to bring into the boat. So they had to drag the net full of fish behind them as they rowed themselves in. That must have been a heavy boat. When they finally made it to shore, they realized Jesus already had a fire going and he was cooking some fish and some toast for them. And then, I love how this is inserted here. Big burly Peter says, well, I'll get that net. And he walks up with this net that was too heavy to bring in and he pulls it ashore himself. 153 fish. Don't you love details like that in the Bible? I just love that. But then, as Jesus is cooking them breakfast, as they're meeting there, something doesn't happen that we might have expected to happen. Jesus doesn't scold them for going back to their old way of life. He doesn't chew them out. Like, what are y'all doing? I rose from the dead and you're back fishing again? He doesn't do that. He just says, hey, y'all come eat this breakfast. 
See, sometimes God doesn't need to punish us. Sometimes God doesn't need to chew us out. Sometimes just being in the, in the presence of Jesus is all that we need to straighten us out. Let's be honest, we Christians aren't very good at following Jesus' example here, are we? We have friends and family who have fallen away from their commitment to God and sometimes we'll lay guilt on them, don't we? And we do it in kind of a passive-aggressive way. Well, you know, if you go to church, you'll meet a nice girl. That just puts a guilt trip on them. Or... I know you're having problems in your life. If you would just pray, maybe things would be different. Oh my goodness, that's a guilt bomb. Drop it. Why do we do that? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't do that to his disciples on that, on that morning. He wooed them back to their calling as his disciples with his love for them. He cooked them breakfast. Instead of criticizing and condemning people who are making awful decisions with their lives, why can't we just try loving them back to God? Instead, we just point fingers and talk badly about them. Oh, look at them. Aren't they bad? That's not what Jesus did to his disciples. See, I hardly think that Harsh criticism is going to woo anybody back to God. It's going to drive them away. We should be praying that these folks that we know who are making these decisions that are not wise, we should be praying that they open up their hearts to God so that they can accept the truth of of the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You may have family members who have made poor life decisions. Don't alienate them. Don't shame them. Most of these folks are already living with shame. They know that they've messed up their lives. They know it. Jesus didn't shame the disciples. Instead, he cooked them breakfast. He already knew that they were embarrassed and ashamed. Now, there's a time for righteous anger. There's a time to boldly take a stand for the timelessness of God's truth. There's a time for that. We saw Jesus do that many times in the three years that he was in active ministry. But as 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. God is love. So if we've given our lives to God, then we should be about love as well. I think there's too many of us Christians who go through life and we're saying, give your life to Jesus so you can criticize everybody like I do. That's not the holy life that God wants us to live. See, God is not waiting to pounce on us whenever we make a mistake. God approaches our mistakes with love and grace and forgiveness So why are we so quick to pounce on other people? Listen, because Easter changed everything. 
we should approach every day as if it's Easter Sunday. When Jesus rose from the dead, it gave us a purpose in life that is beyond anything that the daily grind of life can offer. Yes, we have to deal with work and school. Teachers, how many days left? 20, 21, something like that? Yeah. We got to deal with that stuff. We got to deal with paying taxes. But Jesus defeated death. Let's not focus on these things in life that are part of the daily grind. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us life and a purpose. Jesus defeated death so that we can. Let's live every day like we believe it. Because listen, once Jesus gets a hold of our lives, there should be no going back to our old way of life. Because disciples of Jesus see the world a little bit differently than everybody else. Because we know Jesus is alive. We know that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus who has defeated this world. And if that doesn't make you stand up a little taller, a little straighter, you don't understand. Let's treat every day as if it's resurrection day because it is. Let's pray.